Before we start the show this week, I want to thank our sponsors at SeatGeek. Anthony and I love this app. Behind MLB at Bat, it's probably the most used app on my phone. I, I go to 50 plus ball games every summer and almost every ticket I buy is through the SeatGeek app. I've been using it long before they started sponsoring us. Uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically a ticket aggregator for the secondary market. It ranks via a color-coded system which seats have the best value across multiple ticket brokers. You can get views from the seats and you can compare prices. So like if someone is selling their ticket for 100 bucks in row five, you can see if someone from a different site is selling their seat for, I don't know, 90 bucks in row four. Even if I'm not going to a game, honestly, I'll sometimes just pop open the app and check it out just so I can see what ticket prices are going for across the country. Just trust me on this one. Download the app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Use the code clubhouse and receive a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase. Our show is always going to be free for you guys. We really would just appreciate it if you could support our sponsors a little bit. And it's just going to make your lives easier. On to the show. This week in the Clubhouse, Anthony and I are joined by author, YouTuber, and ball hawk, Zach Hampel. Zach teaches us about the art of chasing down fly balls, transitioning from growing up a Mets fan to becoming a fan of baseball in general, and much, much more. On to the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. I'm Anish Jane, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Hi. Our guest today has written three books, How to Snag Major League Baseballs, Watching Baseball Smarter, and The Baseball. He is the world record holder in the arcade game Arkanoid, amongst others. He has a 250-plus pound rubber band ball that he started making when he was a kid. Oh, yeah, and he snagged over 9,000 baseballs in ballparks across North America. We are going to learn a lot about ball hawking today. Joining us in the clubhouse today, Zach Campbell. Now that is an intro. Thank you. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you guys. We've been trying to get you on for, for quite a while now, but finally, we, we're, all three of us are in the same city at the same time. All three of us do just way too much traveling during baseball season, but uh, thanks for coming, buddy. Absolutely. So, so, yes, go ahead. When did you start? <laughs> when did you start grabbing baseballs and thinking, I'm going to collect thousands of them? <laughs> When I was really little and saw Major League Baseball on TV for the first time, I remember seeing fans grabbing baseballs in the crowd and celebrating like it was the best moment of their lives. And I guess that left some sort of impression on little teeny Zach. And I wanted to catch a ball very much. And I went to my first game when I was six. I remember it was bat day at Yankee Stadium. Even though we were not Yankee fans, that was just a game that worked out for us. We... My dad and I attempted to get there around the start of the game, hit traffic, got lost, 
arrived maybe in the second or third inning. And then, of course, we had to leave in the seventh or eighth to beat traffic. Oh, and we were sitting at the very top of the upper deck. So I went home empty handed. (laughs) And for six years after that, I never got a ball. So I understand the heartbreak that people feel when they leave a game without catching a baseball. Well, has Manish told you his sad tale? Has he informed you? About how he's a baseball repellent? Yes. (laughs) Pretty much. He knows. He knows. It's, 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 I, I've been to over, everyone, listeners of the podcast have heard me say it a thousand times, but I've been to over a thousand baseball games and I have never gotten a ball. And it is just, it is for, for, to sit here against this gentleman here, I've been to Zach's you know, baseball warehouse where he keeps okay. all of, uh, not all of, but the ones that he has kept, because we'll get to this later, but he has, he's, he's given a lot away, but the ones that he does still have, just barrels and barrels and barrels of these things. And the jealousy just inside of me is, 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 oh, I just, I can touch and feel, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So, so when you were a kid, you mentioned you weren't Yankees fans. So you're from New York originally. Did you grow up a fan of any particular team or player, uh, whether it was something that someone your your dad liked, your mom liked, your friends liked, or, or, or that you liked, or anything like that? I grew up as a diehard Mets fan, and yet my dad would sometimes wear a Cardinals jacket and or a Red Sox cap. Why? <laughs> Maybe he acquired them at a yard sale. I don't really know, but... He didn't. Well, was he a big baseball fan, or was he just kind of a I like the game and I'm going to watch it to kind of blow off steam or kind of entertain myself? Like, did he? The three of us are are baseball lunatics. Was he like us, or was he more Not at all? Okay. Everybody in my family, they basically think I'm weird because I like baseball. They no one likes sports in my family, and I don't follow any other sport. I'm just a baseball guy, but nobody likes sports in my family. Now, my dad was a ball boy. For a minor league team in 1939, oh my goodness. he was 13 years old then. And that team, it was like a D-league team, whatever that meant back at the time. Warren Spahn was on that team. Like teenage Warren Spahn. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So my dad would always brag about that as some sort of baseball credential, but he appreciated the game. You know, we'd go to a couple games a year. He'd watch a little bit on TV. But I remember maybe sometime around 2005, he saw some article in the New York Times and he was like, do you know about this guy, Albert Pujols? And I'm like, yeah, dad, he's been a superstar for like four years. Thanks, though. So that's what kind of baseball fan he was. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, you know, he tried. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so, so when you're a kid, it's kind of the first six years, you're just going to Mets games and you are – just like the rest of us, and you're, and you're sitting in the fans, and you're cheering for who? Are, what era is this? Who, who are the players that you are are really connecting to? I was nine when they won the World Series. Oh my goodness! But I didn't really connect to it because my parents made me go to bed early every night, and I didn't see the ends of any of those games. And then in school, the teachers had nap time for all the kids because everybody except for me was up late watching the games. And then I was the one who wasn't tired for nap time, so I got in trouble <laughs> for being hyperactive. It was just a bad situation. <laughs> Well, that's unfortunate. And I did once tell my dad that I wish Daryl Strawberry were my father, and he never let me live that down. <laughs> wow. Every time there was some headline about, you know, whatever bad thing he was up to, he was like, really, you want him to be your father? <laughs> so I loved Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez and Daryl Strawberry, Mookie, Lenny, Wally Backman, Doc Gooden, Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling, Jesse Orozco, Roger McDowell. Like, those were my guys. <laughs> but Cal Ripken Jr. was always my favorite player. Really? Go figure. Yeah, I was a shortstop growing up. 
And there was a time when I was actually bigger than other kids. You know, I'm 5'11", 160 now, but I was I was 5'10 when I was like 14 or 15. And right. I weighed over 200 pounds for a little while and still trying to play shortstop. People said, oh, you're too big. You're not fast enough. And Cal Ripken was like that guy. It's like, well, if he can play shortstop, I can play shortstop. And he I just that loved everybody. him. That was kind and of he a... never missed a game and he had the best attitude. And, you know, his father was a major league guy and his brother. It's just like Cal Ripken was my guy. I'm trying to think. Have you ever caught any uh, Ripken balls? Foul or home run or BP or otherwise? I got a batting practice ground ball that he hit at Yankee Stadium. They had that little corner spot down the left field foul line where the wall came out to a point And you could, if you ran in early and grabbed that spot, you could scoop up grounders. So I got a... It was probably actually a fair ball that he hit that then hooked into foul territory. And I remember being in the upper deck down the shallow left field line at Yankee Stadium. And back in the day, there were very small crowds there. So there was this sort of cutoff line that security would establish where you could sit up to a certain point and then every seat beyond that around the foul poles would just be empty. So people would sit as far out as they could, and then any balls that landed in the upper deck, there'd just be this race for them. <laughs> I, Ripken just drilled a he he got around. He must have you know looking for the the express and got the local you know and and just swung really early on a pitch and yanked it up into the upper deck. And I took off. I had like a two section head start on everybody. It was going to be a foul ball, and it landed in the seats and ricocheted back on the field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. So that's as close as I ever came to getting one from him, but he did pitch me batting practice at FanFest before the 2011 All-Star Game in Phoenix, because I was there through State Farm, and they had brought me out for some charity thing that I was involved with, and... Uh, so what was that like? Yeah, I, mean, you were I, able to I got to basically talk to him for three or four minutes, and then he pitched BP with little squishy balls. I took him yard. <laughs> and there's even a little video footage of this on my YouTube channel. Really? Why don't yeah. you go and plug? Well, we'll plug that later too, but plug the YouTube channel now. What is your YouTube channel? Zach Hample. If you can spell my name, you can find me. Z-A-C-K-H-A-M-P-L-E. So, wow. So, taking Cal Ripken Yard. That's 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 a pretty fun... Uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just picturing that right now. If I was able ever able to take the, the guy that I loved when I was a kid, I've never gotten to do that. I've never gotten to really face off. Who was your my, guy as a kid? Uh, I mean, it's... It, it, it kind of changed a little bit. Griffey Jr. Is, is kind of the reason why I'm still a baseball fan post-1994. But, you know, as far as on the Tigers, Alan Trammell was always my guy when I was a kid. I've gotten to, you know, chat with Tram and, and meet with, you know, back in 2005 when I, I used to own my sports magazine. He was the manager of the Tigers. So I spent a lot of time in that clubhouse with him, which was – but that's a different relationship. When you're their reporter, you know, athlete slash manager, it's different than your experience there where you just got to have kind of a fun little three or four minutes uh, – I don't know, just kind of fan experience. Exactly. And I was, I guess I was like 33 at the time. And I kind of wished that my 14 year old self could have been doing that instead. I think you probably can relate. Oh, of course. Yes. We all I, can. Yeah, I, I think so. So have you ever caught a ball, Mr. Rap? Haven't caught a ball, but I've been with a, a, a diehard Yankees fan um, who had been to many games at, and we were in Pittsburgh doing a play together. We saw a game there and he caught his first ball right next to me. Really? After all the games that he'd been to, that was the first time he'd ever caught a ball. How did you allow that to happen? Why didn't you catch it yourself? Because <laughs> <laughs> it literally was to his, like it, 
it essentially fell right into he was right there he didn't have to run for it or anything it just he was you have arms i'm not gonna fight <laughs> i mean i'm looking at you you look yeah. very able-bodied to yeah me. thank you but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do battle that's i've never yeah he he was he was so excited i'm not gonna no that's with great. my friend's excitement and to be fair i don't i don't lunge and reach across people for baseballs i mean during i feel like during a game a foul ball or a home run can't be claimed by anybody. You can't say, oh, that was intended for me. And how, how can you reach for that? We, you know, everybody's reaching up in the air for it, but sure. You know, I don't, I'm not aggressive. Well, I don't I mean, steal balls from people. Here's the thing about ball hawking in general. I mean, did you, were you aware that this was a thing? Oh, uh, only a little bit. I mean, I, I was aware of it from like the people who were in the kayaks out in the San Francisco Bay. And I was aware of it. There was ball hawks on the streets outside of Wrigley on Waveland and Sheffield. Sure. But those are all um, outside of the stadium. The the, the Yeah, team... I wasn't aware of like in the stadium that there's like a a thing. I wasn't aware of that I wasn't aware I until I met Manish, I wasn't aware that you existed in this way and I'm that offended. you had, you know, I mean, you know, so. <laughs> Well, it's not just Zach. Like before I met Zach, uh when I did my 30 stadium tour, I was in Baltimore and this was so this is in 2013 and I didn't know. I I worked in sports my entire adult life and I don't know why this just never really crossed my radar that ball hawking is this subculture that exists. And, and on my stadium tour, I met, uh, a couple of gentlemen, uh, one gentleman named Romeo and, uh, uh, actually, I know him, you know him. And you also know, uh, who's the other gentleman that I met that I've talked to you about him and his dad. Um, uh, in Baltimore. Yeah. In Baltimore. Uh, oh, Avi, Tim, Alex, and Alex. There you go. Alex. I met Alex. Lefty. Yes. I met yes. Alex and, and Romeo and they, introduced me to the concept of ball hawking. They snuck me into Camden Yards early so that I could take, you know, watch BP with them and all that stuff. And Romeo, actually, when I gave him my sad sob story of never getting a ball, he caught a BP ball and he threw it up to me and said, welcome to Baltimore. So I don't no. count that as a ball. No, it doesn't was, count. Of that course it doesn't count, count, but it was very sweet. I, I still have that ball somewhere in my apartment here. Um, but it was very sweet of him to do that. But as soon as I met them, all of a sudden my eyes were opened and quite literally every single ballpark has their collection of ball hawks. Has their, some are small, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Some are large, 20, 30, 40 people that show up to either every game or the majority of every single game several hours early and are the first ones to run into the stadium for BP and whatnot. And, and this is, it's really an incredible thing. And to your point about not, I think there's this weird uh, misconception about ball hawks where I've seen every single ball hawk that I've met now in the last four years running like madmen and mad women across, you know, jumping aisles, jumping seats, you know, and, and there is this mad dash, this mad race. But for the majority of them, including Zach, there is a respect of we're going to fight for this ball. We're going to grab for this ball. We're going to lunge for this ball. But whoever gets the ball... That's it. We're, we're all on the same level here. Like, I remember at the All-Star game last year or two years ago? When was it in Cincinnati? 2005. Or 15. <laughs> okay. Hello. So, yeah. In 2015, uh, Zach and I uh, and Anthony, we were all actually at the All-Star game. And and for the Derby, it may have been, um, for, for BP for the Derby, I, I stood in line with you. And when we ran in to have you claim your spot in the... Uh, uh, out in left field, center field, yeah. Out in left center field, there was another gentleman, and you two both got there at the exact same time. Like, you were both Well, just, I was like a tenth of a second quicker. Sure, but but you got the spot that you both had wanted, 
And very quickly, it, there wasn't a fight. There wasn't an argument. There was like, hey, you did this. It was very Zach. And I will say this so you don't have to. You know, he very graciously said, look, I need to catch a couple of, of the the commemorative balls that they're doing for my own collection. But as soon as I get as soon as I get mine, I will give you the next one that I get. And, yeah, and I like told him I'd, I'd try to help make sure that he got one. And there is this great, you know, camaraderie that exists within this weird it is weird it's a weird subculture that exists i take that as a compliment yeah i mean it's 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 silly and fun and ridiculous but okay now i'm offended (laughs) but it makes you and a lot of other people happy it certainly does i um i'm i'm time stamping this again but only because i know a story very recently go ahead so the other night at game in game one of the NLCS at Wrigley, um, Miguel Montero hit that go-ahead grand slam, pinch hit grand slam, first ever in history of Major League Baseball that a pinch hit grand slam was a go-ahead grand slam in the history of baseball. I love these things that this can happen, <laughs> right? So apparently a 10-year-old boy got that ball. I actually had not heard who got the ball yeah. and I was wondering. So a 10-year-old boy got that ball and then, but that the security people came to get him to take him back because they wanted to, you know, then have him give the ball to Miguel Montero. And then I assume that they would do pictures and give him some other commemorative things. I mean, what is your, as a ball hawk, what is your feeling about that sort of situation in that case? Something like that. I've been lucky enough to snag four baseballs that the players have wanted back and even some others that I thought they would have wanted, but they didn't. I mean, like Starlin Castro didn't want his first career grand slam. Tyler Austin didn't want his first career walk-off home run, but sometimes guys want balls for reasons that you wouldn't expect. Like I think it was, was it Ricky Weeks who maybe hit a home run on Mother's Day and wanted that ball? Mm. I didn't get that one, but I heard from a friend who got it. So you never know. Um, I've always given the balls back to the players. What are the four that you, that who wanted back? The four players, you said there's four players that wanted them back. Three of them were first career home runs. One guy almost nobody has heard of, another guy everybody has heard of. So Mike Nickius, a backup catcher on the Mets in 2011. That even stumped you. It did. 2011, baby. Mike <laughs> Nickius caught his first. And I think he only ever hit one more home run after that. Oh, wow. Didi Gregorius, mm. back when he was on Arizona, hit that at Yankee Stadium. And then Mike Trout was the big one, got his first. And then the fourth one, I think we all know. Yeah, A Rod's three thousandth hit. So <laughs> I mean, want that back. I didn't hear anything about that in the press. Yeah, you know, it's funny they they didn't cover that at all. Um, that was a fun way. I made him sweat a little bit for that, but I I didn't. It's not like I was trying to be difficult. the The other three, the first career home runs that I got, I gave those back right at the ends of the games. Security always wants to take the ball from the fan and say, "Oh, what do you want? We'll bring you something, and they'll offer you a signed ball or a bat." And all three of those times I said, I don't need anything except I want to be the one to hand it to him myself yeah. and shake his hand. And yeah. all three times security said, oh, that's not going to happen. We can't do that for various reasons. With Trout, it was getaway day. They had a flight to catch. I said, you know, I think their chartered flight can wait two extra minutes. <laughs> so I basically refused to give the balls un- unless I got to meet those players. And what do you know? I got to meet them. Yeah. And all three of the players were happy to meet me. It yeah. wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I'm sure that that's Security just wants to keep fans away from the players because yeah. I understand bad things can happen, but it was very positive. But it's such a controlled experience if they're when you get introduced. I mean, it's not like 
Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not so like, crazy. yeah, hey, I want to go have dinner with them and, and go to their house and meet their family. It's like, no, it's going to be in the hallway of the lo- It's not even going to be yeah, in the right clubhouse. Out, right outside likely. the clubhouse. It'll be outside. So I'm not asking to go inside the clubhouse. Outside of the clubhouse, a quick handshake and a smile. And a photo. And a photo or whatever. Like, it's not, it's, it's yeah, it, that's, that's always something that's interesting to me, mainly because I have been lucky enough to know some either ball players or people within the organizations where when I have friends of mine that I take to ball games and I know that they like them, I can say, hey, after the game, could you just, you know, quickly, you know, uh, come by and say hello. And without fail, if I can get directly to the player, it's always a yes. If the player never turns it down because they get it, they understand it. And at a certain point, not only were they fans too, but they're also fans of other things. These guys, when they go to concerts, when they go to shows, when they go see Anthony rap or, or when, when, when Rizzo went to uh, Hamilton in Chicago, I guarantee you he wanted to go backstage, but someone either told him no or he didn't feel like he like it's just it's we're all people at the end of the day. That's a great point. And it's a cool moment that you just want to share with one another. But all right. So I was going to so, just say with the A-Rod ball, I wasn't going to give that back right away on the spot. Because I knew that that was worth a ton of money. It had a lot more historical significance. And I just, I told security, I need to take this ball home. I know you guys want it, but I owe it to myself to slow the process down, think about it over the weekend. I got it on a Friday night. It was authenticated. You know, it's not like if I waited for a day or a week that somehow I was going to produce a phony ball at the end of that time. So, how was it authenticated? With baseballs that, if basically Major League Baseball knows that a guy is on the verge of a huge milestone, a 500th home run, a 3,000th hit, they will pre-mark the balls with some fancy schmancy infrared stuff that, you know, only they can detect. So it was pre-marked in a certain way. And in addition to that, there was an R on top of like near the Rawlings logo, a capital letter R that they had put on in black ink. And then below that, the number one. Why was it Because one? that was the first specially marked ball that they put into play for A-Rod's at-bats that game. That's mm. the thing that makes me the most amazed by this whole thing is that it was not – he never – he didn't foul off a pitch. He didn't, you know – first – Top of the first cha- inning. The first Verlander. chance that – All right. The <laughs> first chance that he had the opportunity to do this, he did it. That to me is, and Anthony and I, that night, we had gone to Chicago to see a Cubs game. Had that not happened, I will take this with me to my grave. I would have been sitting next to you at that game because it was Tigers-Yankees. Well, it's Yankees. a good thing you weren't. It yeah, because you changed his position. Now. I know. It was Tigers-Yankees. You and I, at that point, had been looking for a game to go to. We hadn't gone to a game in a while. We're like, oh, we got to go to a game. And I was like, oh, the Tigers game's coming up. Let's go to that game. But then at the last second, you wanted to go to Chicago to see a Cubs game. So when we went, that's, that's, that's fine. I'm not mad at that. It was an enjoyable day. But there I am watching the game on TV, and I see the ball land, and I see you grab it. And I say, oh, and Millicent was like, that's... I mean, yes. I, I, had I been sitting there, I'm sure I would have been talking your ear off or gotten in your way or done something to distract you. So, Well, it's, it's like the whole ripple effect, you know? Sure. It's uh, basically the ball was hit right at me. And I saw in batting practice that balls were carrying out to right field. I don't know if it was the wind or just the Tigers are amazing, but J.D. Martinez and Miggy in particular, they love to go oppo in batting practice. And everything was carrying a, a couple rows farther than I would have normally expected. So when A-Rod connected on that one, I just I was like, oh my God, here it comes, don't mess it up. And I made a point of backing up at the start because I didn't want to 
get caught underneath it and have it fly over my head. So I was in the third row when he hit it. I backed up to the fourth and I was trying to get up to the fifth row where I would have caught it on the fly. It was, sure. it was right on the stairs. But there was just a an avalanche of people coming down the stairs and I got blocked. I couldn't actually get up to, onto that next step into the fifth row. And I tried to jump and miss the ball by, I don't even know, a foot or two maybe, maybe three feet at the most. It disappeared into the crowd and I thought I had lost the chance of a lifetime. There were more bodies piling on top of each other. It was like a, a fumble in the NFL behind me a couple rows and I couldn't even see the ground. And so I looked down at my feet where I could see the ground and somehow the ball was touching my sneaker. That's so crazy. So Manish, if you were there. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened, yeah. I don't know. Or I mean, it, it depends. Yeah. No, it would have been an extra body that's there that would have uh, altered the course of where the ball went. No, it's you're absolutely just, right. No, you're, you're right. It's, it's, this is the only way that could have happened. And it's, it was so bizarre to me that it did happen because it's like, yeah, how, of course. I remember you and I talked about it before that, and you're like, there's no way I'm going to get it. There was, you had no, you know, premonition about, yes, I'm going to, this is this is going to happen. It was just, it was, the, first of all, the fact that he was going to get a home run with his 3,000th hit in and of itself is ludicrous. Only three people in the history of the game, including him, have done that. You know what? I was looking at the numbers, actually, and I don't think that, it's not as unlikely as you might think. I believe he had, if I'm remembering the stats right, I think he had about 75 hits that season going into the game, and he had about 15 home runs. So you figure one out of every five hits is going to be a home run. So one in five chance that he will hit one for number 3,000. You know? I mean, statistically, yes, but then there's always just the stuff of, of putting so much other pressure around a, a milestone like that. Where, yes, in a normal day, you're right, one out of five is going to hit home run. But on a normal day, he doesn't have that in the back of his mind of 3,000 hit, 3,000 hit, 3,000 hit, 3,000 hit, 3,000 hit. And that's going to alter the way he's going to swing the bat. Fair enough. But I don't know. Um, so I, I have so many questions. For, I mean, do you have what, I mean, what do you want to know about ball hawking? Because he and I have talked off the air for hours about ball hawking. But this is kind of your first time of being able to, to dig deep into this world. Well, I know that some of it is you do charitable stuff. I'm I do. Yeah. Thanks for bringing to, that up. I'd love to. Starting in the, well, in the winter before the 2009 season, I had this idea that I wanted to do something nice with my collection to give back. And the idea that popped in my head was sort of like how people will run a marathon and get their friends to pledge a dollar or whatever per mile. And I thought, what if I can get people to pledge money for every baseball that I snag over the course of a season? So that's what I did. And the charity that I've been working with since then is called Pitch In for Baseball. And they basically provide baseball and softball equipment to underprivileged kids all over the world and help kids get out there on the field and, you know, in, in war-torn countries and also places right here in America where there are natural disasters, floods and tornadoes that can wipe out an entire league's equipment shed and then the kids have nothing. So it's really a, a nice cause. And sure, I could have done it to raise money for cancer or this and that, but I just, I wanted to keep it baseball related and it's just something that's very near and dear to my heart. Gotcha. So, uh, I'll just add that, uh, when the, when the Yankees wanted the A-Rod ball back and they offered a ton of stuff, I really wasn't interested. And in fact, I told them, thanks, but there's really nothing you can give me that's worth more to me than the ball itself. And having had several discussions with them and they did their research and it sort of came up in conversation that, I do this charitable stuff. They offered to make a huge donation to this charity for the ball. 
And that's really what made me want to give it back. So they gave $150,000 to the charity pitching for baseball. And then before the 2016 season, in the winter, there was this event at Yankee Stadium when all this equipment was delivered to local teams. And I was there for that. It just felt so good to see that like, I snagged this baseball, which was really lucky and did this thing with it. And now all these kids are benefiting and the coaches were coming up and the parents and thanking me because I had directed the Yankees. Meanwhile, Yankee fans are still accusing me of holding the ball hostage, holding it for ransom, (laughs) being a despicable person. And I admit that I said and did stupid things then and since then, but (laughs) it's not as bad as some people will make it seem. Well, nothing or very few things are except for... Well, we won't talk about politics. Yeah, except for a certain other person who's... All right. Well, yes. well, that's 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 what uh, uh, you know. It's something I actually haven't had to deal with too much in my life. When I had the magazine, we had some haters. God bless them. This was we. There, there was a website at the time that was dedicated to to telling me and telling the world how much they hated me and the magazine and how every issue was riddled with errors and all this stuff. Was it Reggie Jackson who said fans don't boo nobodies? Uh, <laughs> I think that sounds about right. But so you uh, were doing something right. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's it's a line from the West Wing about, you know, if they're shooting at you, you know, you're doing something right. Um, where where I agree with that. But you two have faced it infinitely more than I have as far as just especially in this modern, wonderful, glorious age of ours of Twitter. Oh, where, boy. Where, you know, especially I mean, Anthony, I see it on your feed. Any any time you even touch anything political, you just get inundated with with. Sometimes it, it depends. I've 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 considering how outspoken I am. I'm actually, I've actually not been trolled that much. Really, yeah. I mean, I have about sixty thousand followers, which isn't like it's a it's a good number, but yeah. it's not like crazy the way some people do. But I get like once every once in a while, I get some people getting a little ornery with me. But truly, given how you know, I'm sort of unabashed sometimes saying stuff that I don't get people i don't get a lot of blowback well it's just time. it's amazing to me where i mean i mean i, I think th- sports fans can be some of the worst of the worst yeah you know, in it, terms of the there's an rhetoric. intensity there and there's, you know, there's like a dogma what, there i mean there was crazy there were crazy things that some st louis fans said when jason hayward signed with the cubs i mean there were some crazy things directed at him oh yeah like oh, every yeah. racist thing. Oh imaginable. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, that's what's always amazing. How that's where it immediately it just it goes to it's. I understand being upset about something. I understand being confused about something. I understand disagreeing with something. But the fact that online it goes straight to the most hyperbolic, most extreme version of hate and of anger. And what happens is it just my side is going to be on this side. Your side is going to be on this side. Well, and it's because is, it's anonymous. Because you don't have any accountability, so you can you just what, say though, whatever wait, you want. Even on Twitter, I, I see people like my, the the thing that that is fascinating to me is I'll see people say some of the most heinous, hateful stuff, and then I'll click on their profile, and it's a picture of them with their kids, and it's like I love you know my my wife and kids more than life itself, and blah. And it's like what? what? This is you and your kids, and and these. So it's not. I mean, as anonymous as as maybe it once was in the days of message boards and AOL chat rooms. Sure. Like it's getting more. You can connect yourself to your your online persona a lot easier now. And and I mean, I don't want to get into too much because it's just it's toxic and it's awful and it's terrible. But you have gotten a lot of that for various things, and you are a. a 
I love you with all my heart, but you're a crazy person as well. And you've said some stupid things that I've, I've had to be like, hey, take that down, you dummy. It's, that's not the way that people are going to interpret that. Because that's the other thing. The, the internet, the way you are going to joke about, I know you and I know a joke that's going to come out of your mouth. On the internet, it may not play as a joke. And I think that's also another big problem. Yeah, totally. I Before I post tweets or even show a certain clip on YouTube or write something on my blog, I have to imagine it three different ways, the worst case scenario, how people might interpret it. And if I question something, unfortunately, I just choose not to post it at all. But, you know, I think the reason that I get a lot of negativity from people is because of the nature of my hobby. There's a perception that for every baseball I catch, there's some crying child who's sprawled out on, in the walkway somewhere that I've elbowed in the jaw. Yeah. Yeah, laugh, laugh. But, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that in our lives. So. But um, it's just, a funny image. It's you know, there, there is, you know it's not true. There's a, there so is absurd. a finite, well, I mean, to me it doesn't seem like it, but there is a finite number of baseballs to be caught <laughs> in batting practice. You know, there might only be 20 or 50 or 100 home runs that fly into the crowd or a certain number of toss-ups where it's like autographs. Yeah, a guy could be standing there and signing all day if he wants to. So you're not necessarily depriving someone else of an autograph if you get one. But if I catch a ball, oh, that means that I stole it from someone. And then even if I give it to the cutest kid ever, it's like, well, you stole a memory from that kid. Why don't you just let the kid catch it yourself? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I know that's, the people, oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. a thing. People would and, just twist anything. You know, a lot of the balls I catch are tossed up by players. And they are balls that would never even have been tossed up if I weren't there. Like it would have been thrown back to the bucket in center field. But I shout at the guy in Japanese and I have a hat of his team and I, you know, and he turns around and he's like, oh, okay, well, I will throw this ball into the crowd and then I catch it and then I still might hand it over or I might keep it. You know, I keep about half of them. But that's what I was going to ask you. What is your, do you have a, a kind of thought process on, all right, so these are the balls that I absolutely going to keep for myself. These are the ones that I don't really care about, so I'll give away. Or is it kind of a game by game decision where, where one day you've caught, you know, well, yeah, I mean, what's the most you've ever caught in one game? I care about them all deeply, Manish. <laughs> my one game record is 36, including batting practice. That was in Cincinnati on my birthday in 2011. Okay, so for 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 days like that where you're catching 10, 20, 30 plus, how many do you have? Do you have a satchel? I bring a backpack. <laughs> He's Johnny Baseball Seed. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, so how, how many do you give or, or is it's not really so much a number or, or how do you decide what to give away and what to keep? I mean, I'll give away about half of them. If I only get a couple of balls one day, I might give away one. I might keep them both. I might give them both away. You know, if I catch 10, I could give away three, I could give away eight, but it's just, it, uh, it just depends on how many kids are near me when I catch the baseballs and even how many grownups, if I catch a ball, and there's a, a grown man right next to me, and he might have caught it too, batting practice, home run, whatever, I'll offer him the ball. And half the time they say, hey, thanks. And half the time it's like, oh, you keep it. That's fine. So I, I try to keep the peace, and I try not to, well, I'm, I'm never aggressive with physical force against anybody. I might jump over a row of seats and run and jump and catch one, but I've never, you know, knock anybody down or anything like that. And I just try to be very aware and respectful of people in my surroundings. Now, how many parks have you been to? <laughs> 52 major league stadiums. But have you been to all of the 30 current? I have. I've yeah. seen at least four games at all of the current stadiums. So 
I, we are three of very few people in the world mm-hmm. who've been to all 30 parks. I know. Wow. Parks. I, it's re- it is really kind of crazy how, how once again, as I was alluding to earlier, the three of us are kind of lunatics. We are, we're, we're, we are, you know, the, the, the outliers in, in this is just being crazy, ridiculous fans. But, you know, the idea of, of uh, seeing a game at all 30 parks is something that every single fan wants to do. And and we on this podcast are, are huge proponents of that. And I've said it before that if you ever want to do it, you contact me at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com and I will help you do it because it is a dream. I mean, you would agree that it's, it's, it's the coolest thing in the world to be, you know, you're sitting in, in your house and you're watching a game now. At, at a ballpark that you've been to and you just it, it connects you to the game in a whole completely different level yeah it's like oh that's where i sat for that four game series and they didn't hit any home runs and oh look they just <laughs> hit two of them right there i hate my life all right i have a question this actually is my next question though <laughs> well i have a question for you while we're talking on about the 30 stadium okay. thing yeah so have each of you guys like manish have you seen the tigers play or win at every stadium have you Anthony, no no seen no cut? like is no. that a goal or you just wanted to i would I mean i'd love to that would be really that would take very long time because of interleague you know every every three years is when they're yeah. in the different stadiums it's certainly something i would love to do so i've seen it would them take three years <laughs> the cubs aren't gonna could. get swept right when they play a series and wherever yeah well <laughs> you never know we're just going to take a brief break so that i can tell you how to get in touch with anthony or me you can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion. So please, email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special. Or honestly, just if you want to say hello. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with actor Mackenzie Aston. In this clip, Mac tells us a story about a prank pulled on Kirk Gibson of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the Tigers, uh, I guess, got into a little trouble with collusion and uh, were uh, disallowed from uh, retaining uh, Kirk Gibson in uh, 1987. And so he was a free agent for the 1988 season, and uh, and he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And on the first day of spring training, uh, Jesse Orozco, who had recently arrived from the Mets, uh, thought it'd be funny to take some shoe polish and put it on the inside of uh, Kirk Gibson's cap. Uh, so that when uh, Kirk Gibson put his cap on, the shoe polish would come off on his forehead. And when he took his cap off, the shoe polish would still be there, and all the fans <laughs> in the stands would see that big black mark on his face. And so it happened, and Kirk Gibson uh, got real upset about it and stormed into the dugout and told the manager, Tommy Lasorda, that he wasn't going to put up with this kind of hijink stuff because his whole goal was to be there to win a dang championship and that people had better stop messing around like this or else uh, it's just not going to work. And that changed the tone of the whole season. And now back to our conversation with Zach Hample. My, my question really is, with, I know when you go to the games, obviously you're, well, not, maybe not so obviously, but it seems to me your attention is like where you're going to catch the balls, right? Totally. So are you at all any more invested in the outcomes of games? I'm very invested. At this point, I don't have a favorite team. And so going back to when I said I grew up as a Mets fan, even when I was a teenager, I had a tough time rooting against Greg Maddox when he came to pitch against the Mets. I just, all right. 
Well, you mean that's probably when he was a brave, though, huh? Maybe. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, Mets Braves would have been happening yeah. a lot more often. But over the years, I just started to root more for individual players than any one team. And I stopped calling myself a Mets fan at a certain point. And now I just think of myself as a baseball fan. Sure. So who are your current so, players that you're, that you like really are invested in? Well, Mike Trout, who I, I mean, I would love him anyway, but having that connection to him really makes me like him. And he's remembered me. I actually told him that at the time when I gave him the ball, I was like, you know, I go to a ton of games and, you know, I, I know I'm going to see you a lot in the future. Like, you know, remember me and, he did, you know, when he's, when he's signing autographs or when he comes over after doing his running and stretching pregame and there's a zillion people lined up, if he sees me, he'll come right over to me and shake my hand and then go down the line and sign for people, nice. which, you know, it's like a, it's a teeny little sure. brag. It's like, Hey, Mike Trout. Well, no, I mean, me. that's, that's like, and also it speaks to his character as far as him being very appreciative of, of not forgetting what you did for him and, 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 and whatnot. Cause look, it, it's, I, when it comes to folks catching home runs, well, actually, here's this is going to be an interesting. Don't segue too much. I'm I'm interested in more players. He he mentioned one player. Don't segue too much. And we're talking about rooting interest and stuff like yeah. that. Continue. Yeah, don't change the subject too much. Don't Finish. distract us. All Come right, on. focus blinders. Continue more Come players. On. More so players. I do find myself pulling for the Angels because I would love to see Trout win the World Series or even just play in a World Series or even play in the postseason at this point. It's gonna be tough, but I wouldn't call myself. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be, but that's gonna be tough. No, I know. I don't know what they're doing. That, organization, that organization is dysfunctional. Yeah, they they cannot seem to put together anything around that kid to the point where, oh, I mean, what do you? I mean, well, well giving that monster contract to Pujols until he's 42 is yeah. just not the best. Well, and then Josh Hamilton, that thing kind of didn't end up very well for them, and and I mean. The fact that Trout signed an extension with them was shocking to me at the time. What do you think? As a baseball, as a smart baseball fan, do you trade Mike Trout? Try to get a haul for him? Because you could get, I mean, you could replenish an entire minor league system with him. Do you go to the Cubs and say, hey, Cubs, give me five of your ridiculously talented. I don't think so. He's a. Give me Schwarber. He's a, he's, a, he's he's better than a once in a generation player. I just heard that he is the first player since Babe Ruth to lead the major leagues in war five years in a row. Eh. You don't trade someone like that. I just think <laughs> he's he's making a noise about the the war. war. Yeah, yeah, about the war, not about the other thing. I'm about, not a big sabermetric, weird, stat funky too. stat kind of guy. Yeah, I would. I don't even know how to calculate war. Nobody does. But I understand what it means, and I do place some value in it. See, I, I think unless I understand how to calculate it, I don't fully know what it means. And I don't know how you calculate Babe Ruth's war. Um, but uh, regardless, that's, that's regardless. go back and listen to our Ben Lindbergh episode where you see Ben Lindbergh mock me and, and dress me down for my stupid opinions. But <laughs> uh, more players. Mike Trout, who else? I've always loved Ichiro so much. Me too. He's my favorite. Yet to meet someone who's had a one even like remotely bad thing to say about that man. He is just... The perfect baseball player. If I'm pronouncing this right, I love Pat Venditti, the ambidextrous <laughs> pitcher. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love guys that sort of find their own way to succeed. And I also love guys that just dominate and consistently put up good stats without using steroids. I mean, yes. I love Miguel Cabrera. Yes. He's just amazing to watch. I loved, and I still love Albert Pujols, um, just the how consistent he was and how great he was. 
you know, I, I'm friends with a guy named Alex Katz who's in the minor leagues with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. So I'm already feeling warm and fuzzy vibes for the White Sox. <laughs> Heath Bell was one of my all-time favorite players, I, mainly because I got to know him personally, and he is basically the best dude. So I, whatever team he was on was kind of my what, favorite what team. What happened to him? Like, why did he? God, I want, in like 2012, I wanted him as the Tigers closer so badly and then just fell off a cliff and retired. Like, it's two years later. Like, it's just, but I think that that happens. Yeah, he's, um, he's 39 years old now. And I guess he's two years removed from playing in the majors. Sure. I saw him this past summer in San Diego and we played catch in the street outside of his house. And he was letting it go. I actually have video footage of that. And that's something that I'm going to post this off season on YouTube. And he told me that he was throwing 85 to 90 to me in the street and said that at a recent baseball practice, he coaches kids. He threw 94 miles an hour. They had a radar gun there. And he basically, he said, he's like, oh, I could still play, but I quit for the kids. He has four kids and he's a big family man. And you know, he, I respect that. I like that. He made a bunch of money and had a great career. And at this point having to, you know, maybe get an invitation to spring training and maybe not have a guaranteed spot on the roster and be away from your family. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need that. Like he's done it. And I respect that. I like that. Totally. Any other players? Well, Greg Maddox was one of my favorites. I love Craig Kimbrell. Hmm. Um, just again, it's like, He's so good. He's so consistent. I mean, this year, oh my God, his ERA was over three. You know, he should retire. They should trade him. (laughs) But no, he's still just great. Wade Boggs, I loved him back in the day. Frank Thomas. So yeah, it's weird to watch the the postseason coverage and see the gentleman Frank Thomas Uh sitting with the clowns. Oh yeah, it it doesn't make any sense to me that Frank Thomas is such. He is John Rocker. He is such such a gentleman. I mean, he is so. It's such a juxtaposition to have them, Pete. Uh, whatever you know what that's gonna timestamp this too much but pete rose let's just say well anytime you listen to this pete rose has been i mean i get why they book him he's entertaining like it is it's a it's a clown show it is it's it's a he's gonna say whatever it is he wants to say a rod uh, though is quite knowledgeable and good as an analyst i think but you just feel like a rod is so like he's so inauthentic he just you just feel like he's he's always sort of managing himself you know what i mean like he's not sort of just being himself whereas you watch frank thomas and he's like being considered in how he talks about it but you feel like it's authentic frank's always been frank i mean that's that's one of the things that i loved about frank back in the day as far as he was one of the only dudes who openly was like i i hate every steroid while he was playing like every steroid you know user can can get out like i this this you know ox of a body of mine there's zero steroids in this thing and it's ridiculous that we even allow this so yeah it, it, it is a little bit strange to me to see him next to pete rose and alex rodriguez two of the most controversial figures in baseball history and just be jovial with them but i guess you know what uh time heals well yeah i mean he's not gonna and, be rude to them i'm just saying but just the juxtaposition of personality and to see you know what though you know, that's why they hired them all it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful job they're doing because we're talking about them now and plug in their their wonderful pre and post game show just because yeah that that's it's a television show it's not baseball that's a tv show yep and i also have to give a shout out one of my favorites carlos beltran not only is he a great player but he has thrown me more baseballs than anybody ever 38 balls from carlos beltran wow and i've caught three of his home runs during games too i have to say that there you know there was a part of me that um was looking forward to the chance of 
the you know if if the Cubs and Rangers were going to face each other because Carlos oh, Beltran, right. he's one of the there's some players like this we've talked about this on the po- podcast before that something about their numbers at Wrigley Field are just elevated to some crazy Pujols was one of them Beltran was one of them I think like Bagwell you know people like that who play there a lot but their career numbers at Wrigley Field were so far beyond anything else that they'd ever done and he was one of them and I kind of looked forward to the to seeing him be held in check by the, by the Cubs this year. but it's not to be you know yeah. but yep. uh um all right so now what i was going to segue to earlier when you stopped me is when it comes to uh catching home run balls i'm really curious to hear both of your takes on this wrigley field the tradition of throwing it back i'm going to start with anthony when it's the enemy yes what are your thoughts on throw it back, throw it back, throw it back? I mean, it's been for so many decades. So if you're going to be a ball hawk, you got to have another ball in your bag and ready to throw that back. <laughs> I really think like uh, it's just I, I love think this you... guy promoting fraudulence. <laughs> but I'm serious. But it's like you can't if you're going to. But no, but forget about the ball hawking though. Just in general, if you were at Wrigley, it's the tradition. You got to you got to so, you, you got to honor you got to honor first ball. It's house rules, man. Caught. House rules. House rules. Player's first career home run. Other team, you're going to throw it back? Because they're going to give it to them. Oh, you forget that then. Just walk off. Well, not wouldn't be walk off, but but a grand slam. Uh, I'm just telling you, if you're in the house, you got to- eat your own home run. You got to do- you got to do a home run I'm and just, you catch You got to have Wrigley. other balls with you and ready to throw those balls And back. if you don't, then you throw it back? I guess. I mean, this will never happen to me. I'm never going to sit in the bleachers. <laughs> Mr. Hample? Watch his next game. He's gonna. Come I'm not gonna send the bleachers. I don't <laughs> oh, send the bleachers. Lead, oh, I don't. I don't do bleachers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't like do to. Bleachers. I don't like to watch the game out there. I like to watch the game on the baselines or behind on plate. Does that have something to do with the rowdiness, or you just want to be up close and? see I want to see, and I love to see the art. I like to see the plays unfold from that vantage point. Because gotcha. like one time when we were we were at a game um, in Canada this year uh, when I was touring there and some of the, there was a group of us from the show that I was doing. So some people were up in the upper deck in, in Ooh. left field. And then some people were like, I was had a, had kind of, you know, third baseline seats or behind home, but Exactly. <laughs> so I went up there. I went up there. I just don't like, I just don't like watching the game from there. I don't like being, I don't like the angle. I like to see, I like to watch the arc of the ball off the bat into the, I like to see everything unfold. That's really why. I agree. I much prefer the view from the infield, but you can't catch a home run when you're sitting of course. in the first. Yeah, I understand that. A lot of foul yeah. balls. Very come yeah. out of the park in the infield though. They got a lot of space there. Oh yeah. But I want to get back to. I caught two there in one game. Was in, I that one? In the ALCS oh, in no. 2011, mm-hmm. and I got a fist bump from Lou Whitaker. Thank All you. right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Name dropping. All right. What are your thoughts on throwing it back at Wrigley Field? I think it's cool that Cubs fans are the ones who started this tradition. It has now spread to basically every stadium except the few places that don't allow it. There are places that will eject you if you throw an object back onto that the field. That makes sense. You know, I mean, Brett Gardner was beamed Old with grumpy ball. goose over there. <laughs> like, Get off my lawn. I don't want my players in danger of a, no, of dub, a dub, ball dub, 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 being hit. Somebody did get hit in the head, right? Yeah, Brett Gardner. Yeah. Yankee left fielder was hit by a ball thrown back from the stands. Uh, but, but, I promote assault. My name is Anthony Rapp. assault? He should, assault he, he should... with a deadly weapon. Oh, boy. Well, that is true. I mean... Thank you! Ray Chapman. Yeah, oh, okay. We don't want to get too dark. Um. So. So. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are... 
that I will never throw a ball back on the field. Although it is tempting. I would like to show off my arm for an entire <laughs> stadium full of people. Rookie of the year style. Maybe they'll maybe they'll 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 cast you or not cast you, but hire you to uh, to be the pitcher because you just broke your arm and now you can throw hundred miles an hour. You know, throw it to the shortstop on a fly from the from the bleachers. <laughs> It'd be tough having not warmed up though. But so it would, from an athletic standpoint, from the physical challenge, I would enjoy throwing a ball back. But I cannot see myself ever throwing any ball back, even if I were at Wrigley. I feel like I would just have to take the abuse from people, and I have caught plenty of visiting teams home runs at Yankee Stadium. And in fact, in 2001, the very first game home run I ever caught on the fly hit by Mike Bordick in the first inning for the Orioles. I remember him. Um, I had the entire stadium chanting a seven-letter, two-syllable word that, be- well, begins with the letter A. Oh, yes. Okay. We got to keep this clean. Yes. And I mean, everybody, you know. That's one of those words that I think on, in late night primetime you can actually say. Uh, you can say the you can say ass. You can't say the last half of it. If you say it together. What if you they... put, what if you say ass and then, but you can't say, and like if you have other words in between, and can you then say Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. That yes, yes. That's, that's I think everybody knows which it. word all of Yankee <laughs> Stadium was chanting at me. But talk about peer pressure, right? Yeah. I then had this huge drunk guy get up in my face and scream throw the ball back on the field mf you know and yeah. i mean right in my face it was like an earl weaver that's umpire terrible. argument that's and terrible. i just looked at him and i said you catch a home run and you throw it back <laughs> and he got out of my face and i mean i wasn't gonna fight him but i also wasn't gonna throw the ball back and ultimately that's where i have the problem with it throw it back if you want i have no problem with it the whole I'm going to have a, a a different ball to throw back is kind of like, well, you know what? That I don't fully agree with that cuz if you're going to throw it back, throw it back. It's the it's the the throw it back. But it's but it's, where, it where, started at Wrigley though. That's the thing. Wrigley with was a the Hank first Hank Aaron home run yes, ball, I believe. Yes, yes. I just feel so that's, like I'm just saying how much would that ball be worth now? Well, but there's a <sighs> there's a purity to that particular tradition at that ballpark. Sure, but it's not always about. I think I, I want to make some, at least for myself. I'm only going to speak for myself. For me, if I ever caught a home run ball, I would never sell it. It's never about the money to me. I don't care about. It's about well, like you had said about the A Rod ball, and I believe this when you told this to me. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the the uh, you know adulation or the hate or the whatever. It was about the fact that this was a incredibly unique special ball that for someone like yourself especially who's been doing it for x amount of years you just it's the ball like the ball is what you want the ball is what you liked and and i mean this last weekend i've been i've been going through my my apartment and and uh, throwing away a bunch of stuff i'm trying to minimize all of my clutter that i have and my buddy tree who i've mentioned on this this uh, uh, podcast a couple of times he's been helping me he's in town helping me and he's been yelling at me because i'm very sentimentally attached to a lot of old memorabilia or old baseballs or old just you know stuff that i've collected from ballparks over the year and and there are a couple of things. Look, I have a, this this mini baseball bat that I've got that, that's sitting in the corner here. That it's it's I got it at, at a bat day in 1989 at Old Tiger Stadium, and that thing will go with me. For the, I mean, that's going to be given to my kids one day. Like where where stuff like that. If, if if I caught a home run ball, I'm not throwing it back. I'm going to keep this and treasure this thing forever. And I feel like a lot of other people feel that way too. But there's this too cool for school attitude where they're going to throw it back and and. If you want to, go ahead and do it. But the peer pressure is where I, I, I kind of jump off that train. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people should. Uh, 
So know. I'm just saying, but that's the whole gimmick. It's it's yes, you catch it and throw it back. I have zero problem with that. Do what you want to do. It's the throw it back, throw it back. That's really where where I was I was wondering you guys' opinions on. Yeah, I've also heard about the the regular ball hawks at various stadiums. They will have the the so called dummy balls ready with funny stuff written on it. So they'll throw a fake ball back and on the ball, it'll be written like, don't throw that pitch again. Or if you want the real ball, come to section, you know, 136. Yeah. So, or, I, you know, I've even heard of, of fans writing that, you know, whatever team sucks, like Cubs suck, Brewers suck. Like, you know, I know a lot of ball hawks in the Midwest. So there's a lot of Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers suck rivalry going on written on the balls. Sure. And I even know... I won't name him by name, although he might like to be named, but I won't. But one of the guys in Baltimore showed me that he drew something obscene on a ball and threw it back on the field. And when Adam Jones picked it up, he could see him look at the ball and laugh. That's funny. <laughs> so you can have fun with it. Yeah. All right. So uh, I want to know what – when I – when because you do a lot of interviews, you do a lot of that stuff. When When people ask you – like what was outside of because A-Rod one doesn't count. The A-Rod one is the obvious answer. But what is the ball that you will always like when you're 90 years old, you will remember. It doesn't have to be a big moment, a big, you know, walk off home run or first home run. But just like there's like this weird ball that that for whatever reason you just always remember. I mean, weird, like the last Mets home run ever hit at Shea Stadium. I caught that. There you go. Like that's And that's cool. even my favorite ball that I've caught even including A-Rod. Like with the A-Rod ball, I was just stunned. I couldn't even believe it. It was like more disbelief than it was happiness, if that even makes sense. Sure. But with the, it was Beltron who hit that ball at Shea Stadium and that was just pure jubilation. That's the happiest I've ever been. And that was 2008. And eight years later, I got a Tyler Austin walk-off home run at Yankee Stadium and that was my first walk-off. And that's the second happiest I've ever been catching a baseball. So it's not a Mets-Yankees thing. It's not a... I'm just so happy when I catch a ball. I really don't even care. I mean, I do care who hits it, but I'm always going to be happy when I catch one. You were asking before we went on air, if you'd like to ask that question now of, of how he tracks the balls and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I was wondering. We, uh, yeah, he, he turns to me and he starts whispering <laughs> or like mouthing something. I like you I to could ask possibly. Your I was he, wondering where he was going. He with was this. Just, uh, like w like mouth shapes. You guys need to learn sign language. <laughs> Seriously. Uh. Um. Yeah. The the the. Do you have Do you have a sort of like database or or almanac or something? Tracking For me personally, yeah. keeping track of what I've caught and 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 related to the actual balls themselves and. I used to have, I used to just chuck my baseballs in a drawer when I got home from games through 1992. That was the only way that I even kept track of them. And I didn't give any baseballs away back then when I was a kid. So however many balls I could physically see and count, that's how many I had. And when I got home from a game, I'd just add that number up. But you didn't, you didn't keep track of where they were from or nope, who hit them? No, nothing like that. I like wish that. I had. And then in 1993, I started keeping handwritten lists of every date that I went to a game, the number of balls, the name of the stadium, whether or not there was batting practice, how many I got during the game, and then also the attendance, because I thought that was sort of an interesting factor that could maybe help me learn which games to avoid or go to or look at the numbers at a sold-out game versus an empty game. And eventually I typed all that stuff into a computer, and I just have more lists upon lists that have grown since then. And it's also on my website now, 
And there was a long period of time when I would write the number, whatever number ball it was in my collection, I would write that number on the ball very neatly with a ballpoint pen. And then I would have a corresponding list of details on my computer. I mean, I've seen people catch balls and they'll graffiti the whole thing up because they're trying to write the date and the picture and what they had for lunch and the temperature. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want the ball to look ugly like that. So I would write as little as I could, just the number. And then whatever I, whatever else I wanted to remember, I'd keep on the computer. It's pretty cool. Um, Thanks. It is. It's, 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 look, baseball, we're all stat nerds. Like what, that is baseball. Like we, that's the whole, you know, reason, not the whole reason, but mm. one of the main reasons why. Mm. What? Mm. You don't like history? I do like history. That's what I'm trying to say. No, no, no. When I say stats, history? No, no. I, I love the stats, but I love the moments. I love no, 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 witnessing that's why the I know. moments. I, trust me. I know. I was stopping myself from saying that was the whole reason. I, yeah. I already caught myself. That's not the whole reason, but that's that's a unifying reason that 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 why baseball, more than football, basketball, hockey, et cetera. I mean, they're all trying to do that now. Like football, I've noticed, and basketball, they're all trying to keep more detailed stats these days, which is really fascinating to me. But that's that. this is baseball. When I did my 30 stadium tour, on my website I kept meticulous records of this is how many hours I slept last night this is how much money I've spent today this is how much gas I spent today this is how many like specifically this is exactly what I ate and I put that all on my website and it was interesting how many people really got a kick out of just reading like following along even like my sleeping patterns like it was just trying to track that like if you're going to be on the road for 95 days driving like how do you keep yourself healthy and whatnot Baseball fans just tend to like watching, uh, you know, getting deep into the nerdy stuff. Um, and so it's just kind of cool that you've done the same thing. So, yeah, this is my version of fantasy baseball. Basically. Yeah. So so let's 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 throw out some numbers here. What number are you at? As I know. Well, actually, wait. I mean, at this point, you do have the postseason, but you co- you consider postseason regular season different. How do you? Ju- oh, I, how- I count it. I okay. have a grand total, 9,475 baseballs. Mm. That includes batting practice, or if it rains and there's no BP and I get a toss-up during games, after games, an umpire, you know, they have the, the baseballs in their pouches, they'll toss some up, a ball's hiding under the tarp, and you get the, a groundskeeper to hand it to you. Like, I count all that stuff. So I do then have separate lists of, you know, I know that I've gotten 49 game home run balls, and I don't have all it memorized, though. So my number of foul balls during games is somewhere in the range of 170 or so. I could look at my laptop and tell you exactly. Do you have these posted publicly anywhere? I do. Would you like to yes. plug where those are? My very ugly website, <laughs> ZachHampel.com. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, and then you have a streak, I believe, of, of how many games has it been in a row that you've gotten at least one ball? Again, I don't have it memorized. I can tell you that the last time I went to a game and didn't snag at least one ball was September 2nd, 1993. (laughs) (laughs) Pre-baseball strike. And it's over 1,200 consecutive games for me at this point. So, you know, Cal Ripken, better watch out. (laughs) Better watch out. uh, Are you just withering inside, Manish? It's it's he's Zach, always withering about something. <laughs> Zach has very sweetly given me a couple. I have a a spring training Florida uh, grapefruit league uh, uh, ball that's somewhere in my apartment now that I've been uh, that I just saw. But let me just say, I don't count balls from spring training. But this year, a lot of teams had their special sort of commemorative spring training balls mixed in with their regular BP balls. So that's when I snagged a bunch. 
Okay. Well, the closest that I ever got to a ball, well, there's a couple times. The closest, I no one asked, but I'm going to tell it anyways. The closest that I got to a couple balls, one actually was with my buddy Tree. Um, I used to have season tickets at Camden Yards when I lived in D.C. before the Nationals came to town. And I had I bought two tickets, season tickets, and I would go on the train 40 minutes each way. And I would walk around my, my college campus and just ask people, have you ever been to a baseball game? And they said, no, I would take them to a ball game with me. And then Tree and I would go every once in a while because he's a big baseball fan. And we were sitting there and it was second row left field. The only reason I could afford this back then, I worked two jobs to afford this. And the Orioles were terrible. This was like during uh, like 2002, three, the Miguel Tejada years. They just were not good. Um, so like the stadium was always empty unless the Red Sox were in town or the Yankees. And so we're sitting there and Miguel Tejada, this is like 2003-ish, hits a home run. And there's a, me and Tree are sitting next to each other. And there's this young kid, nine-year-old kid with a big plate of nachos <laughs> in, his, in his hands. And the ball comes and it's like maybe two seats away from us. So I'm like, I could reach over and get it, but it's coming at this kid. And I don't want to, you know, hurt this kid. The kid doesn't move. The ball comes at him like a cartoon. He's just sitting there, mouth agape, and the ball on the head smacks him right in the forehead and bounces four rows to the left. Only four. And the kid just sits there. I just started screaming. And I will throw myself entry under the bus. We were like 19, 20 year old kids. We started cracking up because it was absolutely oh, hysterical no. to see. But then felt absolutely terrible for the kid and and went to go grab security to be like, hey, please take care of this young child who just got hit. But it was just the kids. Re- it just the whole it was a comedy of errors of it's like, just put the nachos down, kid. Put your hands up. Uh, but they took him in the, in, in the clubhouse afterwards and got him a bunch of sign balls and, and all that stuff. And Man, the kid, I've never gotten to go in the clubhouse. Yeah, the kid had a, had a pretty fantastic evening. And then the other one was in Detroit uh, uh, in the press box and a ball came screaming. I was on my laptop clacking away and the ball came mere inches away from my laptop and it almost took out my laptop, which was not fun. Uh, but I did not get Who that. would have paid for that? Uh, me. That that's Ooh. on that's on yeah you're not liable like the tigers are not liable for any of that stuff yeah I remember those signs those signs I I actually asked um a lawyer who works for the Boston Red Sox when I was there um able to see BP I asked him what is the actual law about these things because you know there's all this talk now about more screens and people getting injured and those signs that are at the ballpark are legal have, have been found over and over and over again by different courts that they are enough of a warning it to absolutely people. Is. so yeah. then why do they have to put up those hideous screens in front of the dugouts it's just to avoid you know because people can still sue and cause problems and and pr issues but that's that last one it's you, really I think you it's know pr it's it's uh, we Anthony and I've talked about on this show. Neither one of us are are in favor of people getting hurt. We 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 do not want. We've been Anthony and I have both been to multiple games together where fans have gotten hit with balls and whatnot, and it's awful and it's terrible. And I hate it every time that it happens. Pay attention if you're gonna buy the hundred plus dollar seats that are down in that area. Pay attention. That's all I ask. It's it's. Yeah, I mean, there was a guy who was like looking down at his phone and. A- Yep, a foul ball screamed and hit him right in the nose. And and and, and, and I've I mean, seen that too. You know, there are tens of thousands of balls put in play every single year, and only a handful of people end up getting hit. So statistically, it's not even it wouldn't even factor. And it's the only problem is when it does happen, it's like why didn't you stop it? Well, 
even if you do, someone's always it's it. You can't protect. I mean, you've got the the gentleman in uh, what was it, Atlanta last year who who was heckling a Rod and fell oh, from yeah. the 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 upper deck, and you know the kid in, and the, the father I should say in Texas who fell when Josh Hamilton was throwing balls up there. Where it's so now are we going to put giant walls? Like you know you go to the upper deck at Dodger Stadium and and it's it's not as quite as bad as Shea, but like you get vertigo up there because you're so high up and the railing is really not well that, anthony wouldn't that, go up there he doesn't <laughs> do <laughs> that that high so it's it's accidents are always going to happen and speaking as someone who does like sitting in those seats you know i i, I went to games this summer at at uh, in dc and in, in kansas city where they have those those nets now and it does there's a reason why baseball is so spectacular and it's because you can feel so undeniably close to the action. You know, it's not football where you're hundreds of feet away. It's not hockey where there's a glass partition in between the two of you. It's not basketball where, I mean, those seats of basketball games are, are five, six, seven hundred dollars for a reasonable price. You can still sit very close to the field at a lot of these ballparks. So I don't know. That's, that's my rant um, about I, I'm, I'm, I'm anti those nets. I, I, I but it's PR. Yep. That's that's the reason. Well, I will add that I've been in many stadiums, and in particular, I'm thinking of U.S. Cellular Field. How, have they changed the name yet? Next season, guaranteed um, rate. Guaranteed rate. The G. Doesn't it officially <laughs> change at some it. point, like in the next? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're time stamping it. We're time stamping. Yeah, it. Yeah, no, we're not. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it will be by the time but, it, 2017, it'll be guaranteed rate field. Gotcha. Which, well, I remember being there a few years back before they extended the netting and I was sitting in the front row right next to the protective screen, like right, right by the white Sox on deck circle. Basically mm -hmm. it was so scary and I played college ball. I'm in good shape. I'm athletic. You know, I, I would like to think that I'm as good as anybody at catching balls that go into the seats. <laughs> I was crouching down in the front row so that only my face was above the wall and I had my glove ready right below my eyes to just, you know, jolt it up and catch anything that that deflected at me. It was terrifying to be that close. And I see fans sitting in the front rows behind the dugouts at so many stadiums. I wouldn't feel safe sitting there without a glove. And even with one, it's a little scary because someone can reach up and deflect a ball right into your face. So I get it. I get why those nets are important. I get it too. I don't like it. I don't want anything between me and the game. Yeah. If I mean... No, and here's I, a trivia question for you. How many fans in the history of Major League Baseball have been killed by getting hit by a foul ball? Oh, a fan? How many? History of Major League Baseball. This feels like it's going to be a very, very small number or zero. Yeah, right. is it zero? It's one. One, yeah. When? 1970, Dodger Stadium, a 14-year-old boy named Alan Fish was hit by a ball and went to see first aid at the stadium and they looked at him and gave him some painkillers and sent him back on his way. And well, even, there you go. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, what I say. That's, 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 and I then, feel like you know, it was that night back at home that he started feeling a lot of pain and they rushed him to the hospital and you know, yeah, well that, I mean, that's fracture, at least, at least, at least that would, that, that would, would not happen today. Yeah, like they would have, they would have correct intervened, but yeah. still it, it's like one, 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 and, and it's, and I, I get this. There's probably people right now screaming into their iPods or, or iPod. What year is this? Um, <laughs> I speak of time stamping things. <laughs> There's zunes. Uh, remember zune? Uh, but, but they're, they're screaming into their listening device, uh, their phone. Uh, 
I get it. I'm the 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 bad person here because you know I I I don't care about people and I do. Wow. <laughs> what? No, Come because on. no, because what? I know I've heard the, I've I've been I've been I, I I get the other side of it. It's it's a hard. I'm we are all on a weird side of this debate because the other side of the debate is well, why wouldn't you put nets up if it's going to save you know even one person? But it's just that it's for me. I in life. You both know this about me. I've almost died six times in my life, and so I'm no stranger to to being close to death. And and I, at this point in my life, I don't like you know putting overly safety. Like I get it, accidents are going to happen, and if this is how I go out, this is how I go out. I want to be able to enjoy my time on this earth while I have it. You know, I agree. It got very existential. It really did. So let's 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 pivot here before we wrap this show up uh, uh, for today. Let's let's ask. Uh, a couple happier things. First of all, do you have any advice to the young ball hawks or the old ball hawks? Any ball hawk out there where you would say, here's a couple of, of, of things that you can do to maybe try to snag a ball or two. Show up early for batting practice. Every stadium opens at least 90 minutes before game time. And some places open two hours, two and a half. Dodger Stadium with a season ticket you can get in three hours before game time. So show up early, a lot more opportunities, bring a glove. Don't think that it's like cool to barehand a ball. I mean, it, it can be cool, but <laughs> don't do it because you're trying to be macho and impress people. I mean, there's a reason that baseball players wear gloves on the field. It actually does make it easier to catch them. And if you're trying to get a toss up, it shows the player that you want a ball and the players will feel more comfortable throwing baseballs to someone with a glove who's less likely to get hurt. And beyond that, just make sure that you have room to run you know Manish you said that you had seats in the second row in left field well usually the first few rows are pretty crowded so you don't want to get trapped in the first row or any row that's packed sit a little farther back look for an empty row look for a cross aisle stand in the tunnel standing room only section you know I'm not interested in going to Toronto if the World Series ends up there because there's no cross aisle that runs through the seats there's no standing room area really worth a darn in that stadium so if i'm trying to catch a world series home run which i am that's one of my lifelong dreams and goals that's not a stadium that i really want to be at but cleveland on the other hand does have room in the outfield there's the home run porch down the left field line there's a nice cross aisle in the left field bleachers tunnels out there there's this new section out by in right center field by the bullpens that has a walkway which is expensive you need a ticket to get there but once you are there, you have room. So I would consider Cleveland, wouldn't consider Toronto. So you, you got to think like that. And uh, just always pay attention. You know, it's a matter of safety. And it's also if you want to catch the ball, you need to get a good jump on it, just like a fielder would. Do you have any questions for him? That's awesome. Isn't it? Yes. I love the way his, I love the way your mind works. I, I, I love the way you break it down. I love the way you, you know, it's, it's, you have found a niche in life that you are very, very good at. And the way that, that I mean, uh, right now, if I asked you, give me the three, the top three current stadiums that are the best for ball hawking. Do you have it off the top of your head? I could give you various lists of top three based on, are we trying to catch the most balls in batting practice? <laughs> are we trying to catch game home runs? Are we trying to catch game foul balls? Or, you know what I mean? So... At this, wow. at this point in my life, I'm most interested in catching home runs during games. I would say sitting next to the berm out in dead center at Globe Life Park in Arlington, Texas, 
is the single best and most fun spot to catch home run balls because you're allowed to run out there. Yeah, you run out into the the, the bushes. There's that right? one gentleman right. who does. Not even to... bushes. It's just a sloped grassy hill. Ooh, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. You know the gentleman yeah. who does it there? Who? Could yeah, Trent. Yeah. Although he's uh, he hasn't been going to games lately just because life and work has gotten in the way. <sighs> it's a great spot though, and like so. Bush Stadium, you're not allowed to jump out there. Texas, you can. Baltimore, flag court down the right field line, amazing. And I don't know. Yankee Stadium has been great for me lately. The short porch, a lot of balls go out there. So, All right. Well, I think that's going to that's gonna do it. Thank you so, so very much uh, for, for joining us today. Uh, one last, uh, would you like to plug your YouTube one last time? It's, it's a wonderful YouTube that gives great kind of ball hawking tutorials and kind of really fun, unique, different types of videos and whatnot. So yeah, please. Zach Hampel, Z-A-C-K-H-A-M-P-L-E. Just search my name on YouTube. I have videos from most major league stadiums going to hit up the last few next season and get them all done and me running around catching balls and showing you how to do it. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Thank Thank you, guys. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, (laughs) Manish. I feel the love. All right, buddy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next time here in the Clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at Rounding3RdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.